Hello everyone, it is Kiana and we're here for our third conversation. We're actually taking a pivot on today's chat because our guest today does not work in the food and beverage industry anymore. She's someone who brings play and food into their day by being an Instagram food blogger. And why I'm most excited about this is because yes, Food Fault Lines is going to interview people who are working in the food and beverage space. And we want to bring people on who have used food to create their identities, find their community, and embrace the values in how they live their life with their relationship to food. So before we jump into it, the first breadcrumb I'm going to share is our guest's love for Anthony Bourdain because he is actually one of the first people that brought food and culture to us on television in a way that gave us access for the first time for someone who may not have the budget to explore these countries. So let's get into it. Hello, everyone. My name is Kiana. I am the founder of Isle Mine, a virtual cooking workshop exposing people to different cultures and the spirits of those cultures. So tonight on Food Fault Lines, we'd love to invite you to the kitchen table to meet Eliana Lee, who is tuning in from Texas, where we're so excited to share a meal with her and just jump into it. Excited to have you here, Eliana. Yes, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me to this podcast today. Absolutely. So just to kick off, tell us a little bit about your background, your culture, and what food means to you. My name is Eliana. I'm born and raised in New York. Um, I grew up in Long Island, um, so I spent most of my years there. My college years were spent in central New York, and then I actually moved back to Long Island for a brief period of time. I lived in Connecticut, back to New York City, um, and then my last two years I spent in Louisiana and New Orleans, and then I have just recently moved to uh, Texas, right in the Houston area. Um, so talk about what does food mean to me I think food means to me is um, a way to connect with someone um, actually someone I truly respect and one of my you know personal idols was Anthony Bourdain um, the day he passed away you know you meet celebrities and actually you never meet these celebrities so you feel that you don't have a connection with them and, you know, I've always heard of, you know, someone passing away, like, you know, a musician and stuff. I definitely felt for it. But when Anthony Bourdain uh, passed away, that really just resonated with me because I thought um, he was sort of the bridge how I got into such curiosity of different foods in the world. Um, I am an American Korean. I identify being with um, being American before Korean. Um, so I, was, I grew up with eating Korean food, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, so I actually loved school lunches because it was a way for me to eat anything but rice. <laughs> and so, like, everybody hates school lunches. I was like, oh, my God, it's taco day. I loved it. Um, so when I got to go to college, um, having these dining halls of all these different types of foods and, you know, things I didn't get to experience all the time, definitely gave my freshman 15 because I was eating, you know, as much as I wanted. Um, and another thing, like in high school, middle school, when a family, uh, a friend of mine invited me over to a family dinner, I loved it because I got to try Cuban food. I got to try Italian food because I couldn't experience that at home. So between, you know, just the way I was raised and, you know, starting to watch um, No Reservations and everything in college, I was just like, wow, there's a whole world out there. There's so much to see. And what I loved about Anthony Bourdain, it was 
Food was like the epicenter of connecting people. You could have so many different political views, social views, um, cultural views, language barriers, but you could share a meal and it's the same thing that everybody experiences. But it's also so personal to you, whether it connects to your memory or, you know, somebody has cooked that meal for you in the past. So food has been so important to me. It's the way I give and share my love to others. Um, my father told me when I was younger, you know, you could buy people gifts. Um, but I think the, you know, one of the best things that people remember is sharing a memorable meal with them, whether you cook for them or take them out to dinner where they experience something new. Um, sharing a meal with somebody is just so important. Mm. Well, first off, I love pizza sticks for lunch. <laughs> I also loved like classic lunch food. It was just like also a really great way to just like hang out with your friends and feel like yeah. you were living this like life of adventure while like still inside of like a brick building. And I mean, there's not a food lover who does not have a Bourdain moment or has seen a TV show where he has not been a guest host and his honesty is what I respected most because it came from such a place of soul that there was no countering it. And that's what is one of the many threads that made him just who he is. I absolutely love that you bring, bring him up to the stage and to your dad's point. Absolutely. It's so much of the memory that you actually create. And even when you replicate that dish, you feel that love. Mm -hmm. When someone makes you a meal with love, it's so kind of scary when you start to think about, like, loving memories that you have, whether it's with that person or it's with that place or that country. So I totally resonate with that. So you're a food blogger. You've been food Mm -hmm. blogging for about two years. Can you tell us what some of your experiences have been in just trying to put yourself and your food out there on a square tile? Well, so I have my personal Instagram, and I was sharing a lot of my food through there, and I had uh, so much support from my friends and family. They're like, you know, you should make your own food Instagram. So I started doing that, and um, I think starting that, I have been sharing my stories and pictures through my personal uh, Instagram I felt comfortable because everybody was, you know, supporting me. Um, so a lot of my food cooking is inspired through things I have ate, but it's a lot of, um, you know, freestyling. Like, what do I have in the fridge today? You always go to the grocery store and you're like, go to buy something because you wanted to make, uh, you know, spaghetti carbonara. But you have all these extra ingredients. So what do you do with it? How do you recycle it? I try to make sure that I don't waste anything. So sometimes it's like, okay, I have goat cheese in the fridge. I I have parsley. I have zucchini leftover. I literally Google parsley, zucchini, um, what else? Parsley, zucchini. I forgot what else I said, but I just Googled the ingredients I have in my pantry, and I'm like, recipe. And then I sort of mix and match with what I know and the flavors that work, and then I just sort of make a dish together. And I think that's what uh, my friends and family have enjoyed because there are a lot of things that they're familiar with, but it's like, wow, that's super creative. Um, yesterday, I made a mock pho broth. Um, I made pot roast uh, last week, and I had, like, some leftover, you know, in a pot roast. You cook it long, and, there, you know, there's a lot of, you know, great flavors in there. So with my leftover pot roast, I threw it into a pot. 
you know, I brought it to a boil, let it simmer, and then I was like thinking, you know, how can I spruce this up a little bit? And I put some garlic, put some onions, and I was like, ooh, let me add a little nutmeg. Let me add a little cinnamon, you know, those flavors that come into pho. And I was like, ooh, this is pretty good. And then I'm like, okay, I don't have, you know, rice noodles. I don't have, you know, some of the ingredients there. So I was like, I'm going to throw some parsley in there because, you know, there is some cilantro in pho. Um, and I was like, I have frozen dumplings. Let me throw some frozen dumplings in there. And I threw some udon noodles because that's what was in my, you know, pantry. So I was like completely deconstructed, inspired Vietnamese dish. But there's Japanese udon noodles in there. There's American leftover pot roast. Um, and then there is also, you know, Chinese dumplings. It was just a, you know, melting pot of flavors. But I thought it was delicious. And, um... My husband loved it, so sort of how I create my dishes is just using what I have so I don't waste anything. Oh, I love that because I feel like there's this intimidation with cooking, especially in your own kitchen, because when you pull up a recipe, your first initial reaction is, I don't have that, I don't have that, I don't know what that is, I don't know how to cut it, and you're just like, well, there's no point of me even trying And the way that you're even telling your story of just, like, truly picking and choosing, throwing stuff to the wall, taste it as you go, that's the magic of cooking. You're just creating with what's in front of you. And to be able to remove that barrier is just so magical because I love the point that you said that you just made a melting pot of a dish. And you mentioned American, you mentioned Korean, you mentioned Japanese, and there's always this like misconception of, well, American cuisine, it's a melting pot. I'm like, well, American cuisine is not a real cuisine. I don't really believe that. I yeah. think we are pretty much just like the United Nations within these 50 states and mm-hmm. everyone picks and choose what they want to define as American on a restaurant menu. So mm-hmm. I love that. And the way that you're just able to just whip it all together and embrace that as a style of cooking. So when did you first start cooking in the kitchen and who was your teacher? Um, I would say I really, really first started cooking in the kitchen when I was in college. Actually, my mom and my, my grandmother lived with me too. So there was always food at the house. Um, they cooked mostly Korean food. So there wasn't a lot of tools that I like to use. Um, you know, and being a broke young person, college student, you know, it's like when you move out, you start to like buy your own tools and things like that. So I started cooking in college. Um, who was my mentor or teacher? I can't really pinpoint one person. Um, I also worked in the hospitality industry for about 12 years. So I was always drawn to the kitchen because of my curiosity. So I worked with so many great chefs. Um, you know, if I got to taste a great dish, I'd ask them like, what did you put in there, you know? And actually, one restaurant I worked at, um, Water Zooey in Garden City, it's a Belgian-style um, fine dining restaurant. They do moules and frites, you know, um, a lot of different inspirations in their dishes. It's not just Belgian-style, um, but the chef there, um, if there was a new dish, he would always let us taste it. How do you know how to, you know, sell that dish? How do you know how to describe it without having to taste it? So, you know, a new dish comes out, they would let us taste it. You know, there's some, you know, almonds in here. You know, this is a romesco sauce. It's made with, you know, um, a little bit of garlic and roasted red peppers. So being able to be around chefs was so great. Even the deli I worked at, um, tasted the best chicken cutlet of my life. Um, 
that chef that worked at a deli, I still think he's a chef. Um, he was Italian, born and raised Italian, and he had the best chicken cutlets and best Italian food in this deli because he was born and raised and understood those flavors. So things like my chicken cutlet and my Italian recipes, I've learned it from all the chefs. And like, I remember him, I was like, I need your chicken cutlet recipe. Oh my God, I need your vodka recipe. This is phenomenal. And they are such wonderful people. And those are my teachers that would share their secrets with me. So actually like, Things that I think I'm particularly good at cooking is actually probably like Italian food because being born and raised in, you know, New York, I had so many Italian friends and everybody shares the secrets with me. And then outside of people in the industry, you know, got to go over for my to my friend's family's house and, you know, they hosted, um, he hosted a Christmas dinner with like pasta dishes and different sauces. I'm like, this sauce is like next level. What is it? He's like, you know what? You wouldn't believe it. There's some anchovies in there, but that umami flavor. So, like, it's just like I'm learning and picking up from what people share with me. And it's like, I'm a pretty decent Italian cook because I got to learn from the best, you know, that were people who were born and raised, you know, eating it and now cook it. And so they share their secrets with me. So good. And, you know, you spent 12 years in this industry. And, you know, to be where we're at today, what's something that excites you about the future of the food and beverage space as a diner and even as a food blogger? Um, you know what? What excites me, to be honest, I'm like a little terrified for the hospitality industry. I survived, you know, supporting myself through college, you know, helping my family out within working the industry. I always thought it was like a safety net if I were to, you know, pick up my bags and move somewhere that I could always pick up a bartending gig, you know, a server gig. But when COVID and the pandemic hit, I mean, an industry that is worldwide, that is, you know, supporting so many lives across the world just collapsed. I mean, I have friends in the professional world of catering management servers, bartenders that just absolutely had no more income and there was no outlook to one that will end. And it's still affecting everybody. I mean, here we are, we have this Delta variant that came out. And even in my work, I'm in the medical business, I'm starting to be a little fearful because you could see the numbers spiking and that just puts us into fear. So I mean, I was really excited this summer. Everything opened up full. But right now I'm a little bit nervous for the industry because I feel like it's forever changing. And there's definitely a shortage of, you know, employees. Um, there's a shortage with employees, a shortage of, like, you know, shipment. And it's not just the hospitality industry. There's just a shortage of people everywhere. There's so much fear put into people. So, I mean... I don't know if I'm quite excited yet. I just want us to make sure that we take it day by day and we get past this moment. And I hope that everybody just, you know, keeps that industry alive and supports their hospitality workers because they work so hard day in and day out. I mean, I think like everyone who's worked in the restaurant world could always say like, probably spend like a month to six months, you know, waiting on people. It will teach you humanity, humiliation and respect for people because I have been treated horribly in the past. And it's like, man, I'm being so nice to you. And I'm genuinely here. I want you to have this great experience. And sometimes you don't receive it back. But what I've learned is not to let the little things bother you, to smile and, you know, just treat everyone else 
with respect and kindness because then you also meet such beautiful souls that you know are just so broken and so overly you know genuinely and nice so it's like and then they have like really like you know heartbreak they share with you and they open up with you so you never know what anyone's experience and I've learned all of that through the hospitality world it's just not cooking it's just a lot of my personality traits are from my experience of working in the hospitality industry yeah I mean I'd love to know what are three traits that still you know carry with you carry with your work-life integration that are from the hospitality industry that are just deep-rooted in your bones now because it's just so instilled in you so one I know how to hustle um I work doubles like back-to-back doubles so like we're gonna eight-hour day piece of cake like work 15 hours in a restaurant where it's about 100 degrees every time you walk in and out of the kitchen I used to you know wear my Fitbit we'd be walking back and forth like 13 miles a day you know so I know how to hustle and I understand how hard it is to earn a dollar because some days we made no money so hustle and what a dollar is worth um two um I think just really to be kind to people and accept people for all their differences. I've met a lot of different people. Especially when you wait on people, um, you meet people from all walks of life, all different cultural backgrounds, all different views. Um, so it's just accepting all other people. And then third is, I don't know, um, personality trait I think I'm very creative as in like you just got to go with it like something breaks there's always a solution don't give up you know what I mean (laughs) because the show must go on so it's just like getting creative it's like there's no such thing as a dead end here think think outside the box Eliana and I utilize this in all aspects of my you know life job you know personal life I run into conflict and like oh man, this is not the outcome I expected. How do I solve this problem? So you have to get creative, think outside the box. It may not be the best solution, but the solution that can make it work for now, you know? So creating quick fixes. Oh, well, first of all, I love my Fitbit as well. I can like have a flashback to a July 95 degree day and just looking at my Fitbit of like 30,000 steps. I'm worth something on this 14 hour day. (laughs) It's truly like it is your best friend and just like keeps you going and actually reminds you that like it is a new day. I totally hear that. And you truly do meet people from all walks of life Mm -hmm. and everyone has a story. Mm-hmm. everyone has their dirty laundry and there's something I always think about if there was this magic power that put everyone's baggage and dirty laundry in front of you you'd always pick up your own because your story is just your own and mm-hmm. the more people that you meet you're able to understand how many parallels there are and just mm-hmm. how resilient you have to be yeah it's true it's true and I think um understanding that everybody has their own problems and issues you find acceptance with yourself to be comfortable with yourself because you're not alone in this journey your journey and your experiences 
experiences may not be the same as that person you met, but they're going through something too. So when you realize it's not you, you're not the victim, you're not only the victim, this is the game called life. We're all going through this, but we just have our own, you know, experiences. You're not alone. And I think once you understand that as you get older, you're more comfortable with yourself. I feel, you know, a good example is like, you know, a lot of people are like, well, I need to have this job. I need to be making this money. You know, maybe I should be married by now, this and that and this and that. And it's like, no, man, there is no timeline of how your life should go. It's your life. Accept it, embrace it. And I'm actually, actually, I'm not so bad anymore, but I used to be a very, very anxious person. Um, suffered with general anxiety my entire life, had severe panic attacks. And what I realized as I got older, this moment in time is actually the only thing I have control over. I can't change anything that happened in the past. The things I regret and wish that I could change, I'm just going to feel pain from it, right? And then even the things that were great that I'm missing it, that's also pain. Um, so and then looking forward, you are just always going to be doomed with anxiety. Anything from this moment and on, you're never going to be able to control it. You can have a plan in place, but it'll still never go that way. So I've learned, you know, embrace this moment, you know, and definitely there, when th- bad things happen, you're going to have that anxiety. It's a natural reaction, but take a deep breath in, a step back and be like, I want to have control of this moment. What can I do to control this moment is not panic and just embrace it, whether it's good or bad. And then try to overcome it if it was bad or try to soak it all in and take in that you are experiencing something good. I've, I've been there. Yeah. Where you're, you know, you're either chasing one of these three categories of white collar success, blue collar success, or no collar and just keep mm-hmm. it going. And I just have this flashback of being on antidepressants, being on Adderall, just like trying to find some form of control in getting through the day and just feeling so helpless because it just felt that everything was just happening to me. And I had this syllabus for how I felt that my next year, three years, five years were supposed to pan out and plan out. And I just completely dissociated myself from my body I was only focused on this like future timeline and all it did was just it ate me alive and something that's been just so helpful at least handling my own anxiety is is food Mm -hmm. is cooking is doing something with my hands so you know I'd love to know how you know your relationship with food has served your anxiety so actually Food is so therapeutic for me. Um, I am somebody that does not shut my head off. Um, as, you know, I'm, I'm better with my anxiety and, you know, my mental health is pretty good, I think, right now. But through my journey with trying to understand how to control that and, you know, just my mental health, what have always helped me is actually cooking. Because when you're cooking, you're focused. Um, so that's another reason why I like cooking. I have a bad day. I'm going in the kitchen. I'm chopping vegetables. Like you have to stay focused here. Like don't cut off your finger. And then, you know, the outcome of cooking is something is an immediate, um, result. Whereas, you know, let's just say I wanted this job that I was working for in a year. I can't control that. 
So cooking was always a relief and it's just the ultimate satisfaction, you know, because you could create something with your hands, you know, and share that too. So cooking has always been therapeutic. It's actually some of the methods I have used to like control my anxiety. Um, So cooking definitely plays a big role. I hear that. I hear that. And I'm going to take us back a little bit because you mentioned that you're from Long Island, as am I, you know, Mm -hmm. predominantly white area. Mm -hmm. So, you know, how have you handled any, you know, issues of discrimination, either individual? um, You know, for me, I grew up in West Hempstead and it was actually pretty diverse. Um, There wasn't a lot of Asian people though. And my parents particularly moved me to West Hempstead because a lot of people who are Korean immigrants, they go to like Queens, Bayside, you know, Flushing, where there's a lot of, you know, within their own community. So, you know, I've met a lot of people that were raised in Korean, you know, towns, I guess we'll call them, and they only stayed within their network. And I think my parents was like, parents decided, you know, I'm going to move you to West Hampstead. I want you to have experience that was a very American experience for you. Um, so definitely, I have experienced racism. Um, I actually don't think I realized it was racism when I was little. Um, I remember in kindergarten, I went to school and I felt like I was no different than anybody else. Kids started calling me Chinese and chink and things like that. And I went home crying because I didn't even know what these things meant. And kids were calling me these things. And I remember telling my dad, I said, dad, these kids are calling me Chinese chink. I said, what makes me different from them? I thought it was just like them. He was like, well, China is a very big country. He's like, you are actually Korean. Um, but you know what? To make it easier, you let them know if they ever pick on you, there's more Chinese people in the world. <laughs> That's what he told me to say when I was five years old. So I grew up from a young age calling, being called Chinese or Chink or, you know, Gook. And, but it wasn't like I felt so insulted by it because I also think that when we grew up, people didn't really understand the harm it did to people as much as it does now. I mean, I will tell you though, growing up, I was always self-conscious of being an Asian girl. You know, I always got comments as as like, oh, you're pretty for an Asian girl. You know, what does that mean? You put me in a different category because of it. Um, So I think like growing up, in Long Island definitely had, you know, I did experience my own self-esteem issues, but what I also knew is that I can't let that control me. Um, But I know for a fact, though, other people in Long Island have experienced more, whether you're African-American or Hispanic. Um, I think my town overall was very inclusive. Um, So I feel very lucky about it because the people I still know and, um, from my town, they are, you know, all different, you know, nationalities. And my husband's from Ohio, and he grew up in a very small town. There was, you know, one Filipino girl. She was adopted. Maybe there was, like, two African-American people. It was a very, very small town. And so when he gets to hear about, you know, friend one, two, three, you know, oh, I'm going to go over to my friend, you know, Rob's house, and you know, I got to enjoy Cuban food, you know, I'm going over my friend Tommy's house, I'm going to eat Italian food, his experiences are so much different, and it's so funny, is that 
being from New York, we always ask you, hey, what are you? Like, are you Italian? Are you German? Are you Irish? And from where he grew up, they are so many generations in American. When I met him the first time, I said, what's your nationality? He's like, American. I'm from Ohio, <laughs> you know? So it, 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 it's so different because so many of us in New York are first, even the Italian people, Irish people, first, second, third generation, you know, so we're all still, you know, new. I wouldn't say we're really new to the area, but we're all still like getting integrated. So we have a lot of pocket communities in Long Island. You have predominantly Caucasian communities, you have predominantly African American communities, you have predominantly Hispanic communities, but I think my area was very, very diverse and well met, mixed together. It's differently, definitely different from the experience my husband had. Mm. And that's like a really big part that, you know, I ground into all mine. It's like we're building generational roots for the first time. Yeah. Once you're able to step outside of this, just the first gen kind of pedestal that we look up to and even to to when your father mentioned of like it just it's the um, this American dream like moving you to this another to this other town to give you more of like an um, quote-unquote American exposure and that is one of the difficulties because you're chasing this legacy feeling you're chasing this place of foundation because you just want to feel that it's not new that you are, are that you are part of something that there is roots to you and your story and your family and everything that amplifies it. Mm-hmm. I absolutely hear that. I mean, it, it, it's definitely so interesting. I'm first generation. So um, there's so many experiences that my friends have that like, I don't even know like what to say, you know, even like, like watching TV or like, um, just like pop culture, like, you know, their parents listen to the Beatles and, you know, Bob Dylan and have Korean parents. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about growing up. You know what I mean? And then even talking about like food and, you know, traditions, they're so different. So a lot of my experience as an American was all through outside of my family, like Thanksgiving, right? We don't celebrate Thanksgiving. We have, you know, um, Chuseok, which is like Korean Thanksgiving. Um, but we've always had that. But when it came to Thanksgiving, oh, my God, I was so jealous. I'm like, Mom, can we cook turkey? She's like, I don't know how to cook turkey, you know. <laughs> Maybe we'll get, like, KFC. Is that good enough? You know, it's chicken. It's poultry. So it's just, like, Thanksgiving was never big in my family because Thanksgiving was a very truly American holiday. Um, even for Christmas, uh, my mom was very religious as a Christian. So she's focused on the religious aspects of it. So Christmas wasn't this, like, big thing where we had a Christmas tree and gifts all under the tree and stockings. I learned what stockings and stocking stuffers were at like 24 years old when I met my husband and went to Christmas. I'm like, wait, you're telling me you get gifts under the tree and then you get more gifts in your stuffing, your, your stocking. And I was like, he's like, yeah, you've never had stockings. And I was like, no, I thought that was something pretty you hung up on top of the fireplace. So good. Yeah, I did not know what stockings were until I was like 22, 23. And can you describe Korean Thanksgiving in three words? I know nothing. Please, I'm I'm here to learn. So I'm not really sure if this is all factually correct, but you know, 
a lot of Asian holidays and things are, you know, similar. So like there is um, Harvest or the Moon Festival Chinese. Um, so it's like Chinese people have their Thanksgiving. Ours align around the same exact time too. Um, so Chuseok, I think it means harvest. It means to give thanks to your ancestors. Um, so it's like people who passed away, you know, you had a great year, like great summer where, you know, food was abundant, you know, you got your vegetables, rice and everything. Cause you know, back in the day it was all farming. You didn't go grocery shopping and things like that. So you said thanks to your ancestors. So it's like a big meal where, you know, your family and friends get together. Um, you have traditional Korean dishes and we actually do something. Um, and not all Koreans do this anymore because there's like, you know, religious, you know, some people think it's against their religion and things like that. But like my family, um, we put out a picture. Um, my mom passed away four years ago. So definitely um, around Tucson, we put a picture out there. Um, we sort of set up foods in certain orders. And then you put out some of our favorite dishes. Um, so, you know, you reflect on their memory. You say thank you. Um, you know, you sort of like, it's like, it's it's Thanksgiving in our form, and actually, let me see if I can find a picture because you can see what kind of setup it is. But there is a whole um, thing that Korean people do. Um, it's a big holiday. Let's see. And what I love about your honoring of the ancestors, and even the most recent passing of your mother, which I'm seeing right now. So that's my, my mother, and then that's my grandparents, my father's parents on the um, left side or right side, whichever way you see it. So we have, like, you know, fruits. So those are, like, desserts. It's always at the further away because you eat that last. Um, and then you bring your most main dishes, your rice, your soup, and then – Panchan, which is like with Korean food, there's always some sort of soup, there's always rice, and then you have side dishes that you get to eat your rice with. And then maybe, you know, especially like, you know, back in the day, they didn't get to eat a lot of protein. So holidays is sort of when you got to eat your meat, you know, your Korean short ribs and Korean barbecue and stuff. So sort of how everything's uh, set up over here. Yeah. And that form of intention for this meal and for this holiday I think it's something that's pouring over into, you know, quote unquote, American Thanksgiving, because now we are honoring what actually happened at that time and the genocide and all of those untold generational stories are finally being brought to the surface. And it's it's time of healing. It's time of just truth and honesty. So yeah. it has been really interesting, especially these last two, three years, seeing the evolution to what a person's Thanksgiving actually is. For some, it's just like mental health rest day. For other families, it's just full-blown parade, et cetera. And I think the way that you explained how you have experienced Thanksgiving with that intention and honoring of the family history is a route that I think all of us can take into account into our own holidays. I think that's so beautiful. And with our two last questions, our first is always a fun one. Uh, if you could have food fall from the sky right now, it can be edible. What would it be? Pizza from New York. <laughs> 
Any toppings? Huh? Any toppings? Um, you know what? Like, I used to be like a topping maniac, but now that I don't live in New York, I just like love just a cheese pie. I just want that thin crust, you know, fresh out of the oven. I mean, when I moved to New Orleans, I was on the search for the best, best New York pizza. I found one that's close and they do pretty good. And when the pandemic hit, no joke, they used to have like three hour takeout lines. And so I just moved to Houston, so I haven't been on a search really. I tried one place, it's called Russo's. That's all right. Can't really call yourself New York pizza. <laughs> so it'd totally be like Joe's Pizza from like New York called a sky or like Gino's Pizza from, you know, my hometown, West Hempstead or King Umberto's in New Hyde Park. I mean, a grandma slice pizza. All the pizza in the world you could get me from the sky. <laughs> mm, I'll echo that. And for our last question, Eliana, you have just joined us at the kitchen table for an overall incredible meal. I'd love to know what are three things from our conversation that you want to put in your to-go box and take with you before we wrap up. When you say, like, what would I like to take from my conversation in a to-go box, what do you mean? Lessons, takeaways, anything that kind of came up for you. You know what? This is like the first time someone has actually like asked me these questions. Like, what does cooking mean to me? What have I learned from working in the industry? And even just like talking about my experiences growing up, never really thought how that all blended in together to truly who I am as a person. So takeaway box is, I mean, I've grown significantly through cooking and eating. So wow, there's so much power in food. I've always known that, but today just like having that conversation with somebody out loud, it really did resonate with me. There is so much power in food, so much power in cooking. Um, so that's one. And even two is just like my life experiences actually revolve around a lot of cooking and, you know, eating. <laughs> I mean, when I move or even go visit somewhere new, it's always trying to Google to figure out what's a fun to, to hear, you know, not the most expensive restaurant or the best restaurant, like New Mexico. Aren't they known for green chilies? All the chilies here. So many chilies. I want to go to New Mexico and get some green chilies, you know? So, like, those type of things. Um, I mean, food just means so much to me in my life. Yeah, so that's – I'm going to take away to really, truly understand how my childhood experiences to my, you know, adult experiences – have all affected me in my cooking, um, in my personality, my life choices every single day. So beautifully said. And with that, I'm going to wrap up this amazing whole meal and just be on the lookout for our next episode. Eliana's info is in our bio, and we look forward to sharing many more of your food adventures as they come. Thank you, Kiana. It was a wonderful interview. I appreciate your time today. That was such a grounding conversation. I love how Eliana is able to speak on her relationship with food serving her anxiety and lowering her stress because it does give us that sense of control and an immediate result. Why wouldn't we have that in the back of our pocket as a way to ride some of the storms that were dealt with during the week, month, year? And cooking plays a really big role in helping us out. So in just 
keeping on with the food message, I'd love to invite y'all to our monthly cannabis cooking class, which we're hosting on Wednesday, October 27th at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's free on Zoom, and you never know where you're going to find your community, so why not just give it a chance? And lastly, I would ask for you to leave a review for us because it's how we grow and it's a great way for us to know that people are actually listening to these conversations.